Today's guest is Mike French. I've known Mike for a number of years, and I think under his layers of being a former educational executive, a craftsman, and a pretty good musician, he's got a bit of philosopher hidden. Mike has jumped off the hamster wheel and has become so much more than a maker. From intentionally seeking simplicity to calling out the busyness in our lives, Mike shares his own struggles and triumphs and continued pursuit of writing his own story. This isn't touchy-feely BS couch talk, but rather Mike gives examples from his own life on how he continually strives to be intentional on the choices he's making in his story. Welcome, Mike. Great to have you this evening, man. Been in his shop plenty of times down here. He's now moved up to the great white north of uh, back to kind of his roots, Pittsburgh, PA. And we both have roots there. So, um, but great to have Mike on. It's going to be, a, I think, a fun conversation. So thanks for tuning in. And uh, Mike, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, it's, it's humbling and exciting to be, uh, be part of this. Good, man. Well, we've, you and I have kind of kicked around the whole Soulcraft thing for probably a couple of years. And this is uh, one way to at least get it off the ground. Cause I think there's, there's a lot of stories out there. Yours being one of them, just great, cool stories, people living their own life story and, and willing to share it and hopefully can um, give permission, which is, is a great term of a buddy of mine told me is, is it's giving permission for others to follow their own and start writing their own story. So anxious to hear about yours and share yours tonight. Let's start off by one of the questions that I ask, and I'm going to ask you, what is, since I know you a little bit and I know you've gotten rid of a lot of stuff, what's, what, what is one thing you can't get rid of or you'll never get rid of? You know, material wise, uh, I have a, a couple guitars that uh, a friend of mine made for me that I cling dearly to. Uh, he's passed away. And, um, you, you know, these these instruments, I don't even play them that much, but it's just the the joy of having his craft. He, he built custom guitars and um, to know that that this was part of what he invested his energy into just really keep those uh, close to my heart handmade guitars by your buddy who's passed away yeah yeah wow. he, he was a great guy and actually a huge inspiration to me uh he, he passed away young of, of cancer but he uh, paved the way in many ways for me by leaving his job to start building guitars at home and, and towards the end of his life i'd asked him you know, i told him i felt bad and asked him you know what I could do. And he, he explained that he lived more life than most people will ever get to live because he followed his passion and his dream of building custom guitars. He worked at home. He got to teach his son about that. And it was so inspiring to me that I really felt just compelled to, to, to do something with that, to keep that tucked. So I guess that when you say, what would you not get rid of? I would not get rid of that nugget of information from somebody that I looked up to that was inspirational at that moment. And instead of letting it pass, I just, I really clung to it and said, you know what? I'm, I don't know how long I'm going to be here. So I'm going to make every day count. Wow. That's, that's pretty compelling and a great segue into a little bit of your story. And if you would share with everyone 
you mentioned leaving the quote corporate world. Tell us about what you were doing in the past and then you transition to what, or I should say what you transition to. So I, you know, when I'm in my shop and, and, and you've been there and you've seen it and we, we have a lot of fun. When I tell people I was almost done with my doctorate degree, they kind of, and you're doing this, you know, give me that look. So prior to leaving so my, my past life career, I was an executive in higher education. Um, so I'd worked my way from, you know, frontline call center, you know, the, the people that call you up at dinner time and ask if you want to go to school. I started doing that uh, to getting into the academic advising component and really learning how the students can succeed. And I started getting passionate about how people can further their lives. Uh, wound up going all the way up to the, the Dean of Online Education uh, with the university. And when I decided to walk away, a lot of people thought we were nuts leaving good careers. My wife, uh, you know, she was in engineering, but we weren't happy. And we weren't unhappy, but we were just neutral. We were surviving. We chased after a bigger house, nicer cars to have those momentary sparks of happiness, uh, going out to nice dinners. But deep down inside, we would find ourselves in the weekend remodeling houses. Uh, we flipped a couple of our own houses and realized I grew up in the trades. She loved design. And we thought, let's do this. And it's about the same time that my friend really inspired me to, to, to have the courage. And it was about aligning our desires and our dreams with a bit of reality. Uh, we needed to make money, but, but looking at what was really important to us. And, and we quickly came to car payments were not important to us. I mean, I didn't like paying bills. I genuinely didn't like paying bills. So we thought, let's have fewer bills. And simplicity became a theme and we just stepped out. So we started uh, Artsy Reclaimed. We started our business with the idea that we could take things that were being discarded, whether it was jumping in dumpsters to pull out pieces of furniture, you know, Craigslist finds to starting to really kind of think what we wanted to create and acquiring tools slowly to where it kind of took a life of its own on us and we allowed it to take shape, but we knew what we weren't willing to go back to, which was working for the sake of acquiring or working for the sake of, of full, feeling fulfilled by stuff or the approval of others. And as you were walking through that whole process, you said something very interesting there is in your corporate lives, you were working hard, coming home, paying bills and all that, and you were just surviving. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think the opposite of, hey, look at that person. They don't make a lot of money. They're, they're, they're a starving artist. They're just surviving. And the people from big houses in the suburbs and stuff. And, and you basically are saying the opposite is, no, that was you just surviving because you weren't living. You had a good life. And I, I've talked about this several times is a good versus great life. Yeah, that's a good life. But is it a great life and the great life and the story that you wanted to write for yourself? And obviously the answer was no, a resounding no. Uh, with a little nudge from uh, a great friend who built guitars, it sounds like. 
That's a really great point to distinguish between a good life and a great life. A good life is something that maybe is painted in a picture. You know, you, you, you have an image growing up. Um, we're taught certain things. I was always taught that, you know, a, a man gets a job, he stays at the same company, he works hard as he can, he gets a promotion and provides for his family. And that's noble and that's a great thing to do. But that's not necessarily everybody's story. I still work very, very hard but I wanted to chase something I was passionate at. And in doing so, I encourage everybody to get into the trades because I'll never go hungry. There's always a need for tradesmen um, and women. Um, there's always a need for individuals to build and create. And that happened to be my passion. So it was kind of a nice change for me to say, you know, I can depend on corporate. I can depend on somebody else for a paycheck or I can go create that paycheck myself. And that's when I, in fact, I, I believe you, you inspired me many times with the idea that having a job and working for somebody else is trusting them to provide for your family. Stepping out and doing your own business is trusting yourself to provide for your family. And that all kind of played into, I think, our decision to move forward, really have the courage to, to watch others doing it. Yeah. And it does take courage. It's through this whole process, there's, like you said, it's noble to provide and, and, and be a caregiver for whoever that is, your family, your wife, your spouse, your significant others, kids. Um, but then you start thinking beyond that, like you have in terms of what is good. And I use great in the terms of, we think of great, like you know, a goat, Tom Brady is a quarterback, yeah. a goat, and it doesn't have to be great in those terms, greatest of all time. It's great as you define it. It's a subjective term. It is a very subjective term. And, and, and the thing I like about that is, is great is, you know, a great life isn't waking up every morning and dreading going to work. A great life is loving your every day is being able to be present in the moment. I don't take vacations to escape work. I like a good vacation just to go enjoy myself, but I don't often feel, you know, a case of the Mondays as they call it. Like I, I love getting up and, and having projects to do. And there's some phases of a project that are least desirable than, or less desirable than others. For the most part, at the end of the day, when I get to look at what my wife and I created together, it brings us closer. It makes me happy. Uh, I love seeing her smile. I love rising to the challenge. And I think we all have that something in us. And it's that something that you feel inside you whenever someone talks about or, or you're driving around and, and you see, uh, whether it's a piece of art or you hear your favorite song and you get inspired, chase that passion. It may not even be your career. It may just be something where you say, you know, I've always wanted to learn to play the piano. And even though I might never be Billy Joel, I'm going to sit down and play the piano and learn to play a little bit because it makes me feel good. It brings me that level of satisfaction and joy that I can't find anywhere else. Absolutely. And with that, Mike, working with your hands. Yes. Start off with, first of all, how you acquired the skills. And I'll tell folks out there uh, at the end of this and in the podcast episode, I'll leave a link. They're working on some other projects we'll get into he and his wife uh, at Archie Reclaimed. But Mike has 
incredible skills with his hands. He didn't go to school for it, but tell us how you acquired those skills, number one, and then walk us through the emotional aspect of working with your hands and creating something. Okay. So I learned early on, um, we didn't come from an excessively wealthy family that if, if you wanted something, you went and earned it. And my dad did uh, electrical work on the side and I would help him do anything from, from, you know, pouring concrete to wiring houses. And my grandpa was an old school woodworker. Uh, I remember him sitting there, you know, he had a couple tools, you know, he had a, a, what we'd call a miter saw, but he had a radio arm saw and a pocket knife that he made most of his furniture with. And he actually built clocks. I remember sitting there and just watching him make these intricate little pieces, sometimes not even understanding what he was doing. My uncles had a, a body garage. And so they would be, you know, chopping up cars and welding them together. And it was always just so inspiring to me. So, so I was always in awe of how they would take a chunk of wood or a, a wrecked car or a lot of, of land that needed cleared. And at the end of it, they produced a product. And so I always loved it. But again, I got into, I was into sports and I, I got a, I got to play um, college soccer and, and I kind of took a path of getting a job and I started making money and it was that hamster wheel, right? I started making money and it's like, wow, I can actually afford a car. Like I'm not buying a wrecked car and fixing it with my uncle this time. I'm actually going to the car lot and picking a car. And that was exciting but then came a car payment. Then someone else had a nicer car and I had to keep working. And, and that whole cycle, I think many of us have felt that cycle where you just go on and on. And, and as we had our own house, I started working in the garage and building stuff. And it would take me back to watching my grandpa or my uncle or my dad and, and really got a little bit nostalgic with it. And when a chance came to open my own shop, I don't know how many times I'd walk into the shop and just pause in gratitude to think, you know, of, of all the directions we went, this is what we get to do. I'm sweeping sawdust off the floor, grateful that, you know, that I was given the, the skills and abilities from generations past to create things with my hands, to whether it's metalwork or woodworking, to see a design, someone comes in and, and, and has an idea that they want brought to life. And at the end of the day to look at it and think, wow, like we did that. It, it's very important to me to keep humble with it and not think that it's, it's not put too much of ourself that we did it because there's so many people along the way that contributed to our skills or that made the materials, you know, I, I couldn't, you know, I can't make metal, you know, so um, I can't design. I'm not a talented designer. My wife is. Uh, and, you know, I think it's just that moment where you can step back and, and feel like your work accomplished something and you see somebody else taking joy in it, uh, whether it was, you know, a client or, you know, making, uh, you know, I remember we talked about it and, and worked on that, the, the table that was going to get to get auctioned off and, and donated. We did that. Like, I didn't have hundreds of dollars to give, but I could build something that was worth, you know, hundreds of dollars. Those things are remembered 
the price tag, the the cash exchange for it is just one component, I think. And I, I do, do have to pause here. You mentioned your wife, Carla, and I just want to give a shout out because as you were talking about that whole process and your wife designing, uh, I'm sitting at my desk right now, uh, as you know, um, that was mm. you and I sort of built together in your shop and your wife Good. designed the base. And everybody that comes into my home office here is like, wow, that's the coolest space. And a shout out to Carla because she designed that that metal base, but it was the coolest thing. Going back to that that part that you mentioned, you know, the progression and the st- your story that you're now writing is a compilation of not just you, but the people you've interacted with and people that have been influenced in your life, in your life, excuse me your dad, your, your grandfather, your, your other family members and stuff. And it's neat to point out as you did. And we forget that though. A lot of us, I think we go through life and society as a whole kind of dictates, beats this loud drum of, no, you should go do this path. Like you and I both have gone to corporate America, work your way up the ranks by you know by the bigger cars or whatever and it's and it's tough and and not that it's necessarily a bad choice but not listening to i'll say what your soul is trying to tell you in the story you should be writing and you listen to that which is really awesome but there had to have been some fear and apprehension during that transition process of leaving the corporate world leaving a nice paycheck Walk us through how you overcame that. I, you know, I, I still face that fear. I'm not going to lie. Um, there's times when I think, are we crazy that, you know, I keep in touch with a, a lot of the folks I've been offered jobs to come back. And that's helpful to know that I didn't burn bridges. So anybody thinking of transitioning in their life, you will be remembered by how you exit. So I gave ample notice. I did all the right things exiting my corporate career. So I always encourage you to exit properly. Um, but knowing that I have that cushion, I'm zero tempted to go back. When I have angst, when I have fear, it's really easy for me to remember the anxiety that I felt and why I left that job. Uh, I journal a lot. I keep my thoughts uh, close by one of the things that I do to manage my emotions, because I do suffer from an anxiety issue where I, I used to get panic attacks. I don't. I've learned to recognize my emotions. I'm not scared to be vulnerable to myself and say, I'm feeling anxious today. I'm nervous about this product. And instead of launching into problem solving mode and, and just rushing around, I like to pause and sit in it for a moment and ask myself, what, is, what am I really afraid of? What, what's really the worst case that can happen in these scenarios? And typically that centers me because we think of the worst things, but reality is going to be somewhere between that and the worst thing. When we, we were looking at our finances and I said, what's the worst thing that happens if we have no money? Well, we might get a bad credit score. And, and that stinks. I'm not saying ditch out on your finances. But when I put it into perspective that so much of the fear was based off of how others would perceive me, I started thinking, I'm, I'm braver than that. I'm, I know I'll get to eat. I know that um, 
you know, I'm classified as a master carpenter and, and I don't like using that term, but um, our, our carpentry skills are, are good. I can weld. I wouldn't call myself a master welder, but I'm a good welder. And I know that I can always find work and I'm always willing to do the dirty work if necessary. My first, very first construction job, um, I walked into a job site and I just, my dad took me to a job site and he said, you want a job? You walk up and you ask for the foreman and you tell him you're ready to work and you, you, you are willing to do whatever he needs. And if you've ever tied rebar, you bend over and you put pieces of rebar together and you tie it with a wire. And he said, can you start right now? And I walked over to the car and I said, dad, he wants me to start now. My dad said, I'll pick you up whenever you let me know when it's, it's closing time. And I ran back over and he said, five o'clock. And I ran to my dad. I said, he said, pick me up at five. And I started tying rebar. I did it for about, it was, I got there about 10. So I, I worked for about six, seven hours that day. Sunburnt and it was awful. And the guy asked me if I was going to come back. I said, absolutely. Tomorrow, you know, and that's the attitude that I know I'll never go hungry. I, I focus on the fact that I'm willing to fight like a champion to survive. So I know that I don't need to put these safety nets of big bank accounts or safety nets of I got a job or I'm in the union. Nothing wrong with that stuff. I'd like to think that I'm brave enough and confident enough to know that I'll fight for my family myself. Yeah. Like you said, brave enough. You said that twice. It's a great motivator. And like you said, it's a humble thing that it's a humble confidence that you can do it. But you mentioned one other key thing in there. And you said, talking about the fear as you paused and sat in it, mm -hmm. you said, you realize a lot of times it's about what other people think is some of that fear that's built up in us. And I think we all have that. And I think if we take the time, like you said, just to pause and think about it, you realize, am, am I fearful because my life's going to be totally wrecked? No, it might be the fear of what do other people think? And if you have that confidence and bravery to say, that's not important to me, I can push forward and pursue the path and story I want. It's incredible. And it's, it's just inspiring to hear you talk about it too. I, I get really excited. So if I ramble, I ramble, but um, th there was a formula that I learned oh, about, about the time we were really transitioning. Um, a friend of mine sent me a book and in that book was a, a formula and it said, most people have a self-worth formula that is um, self-worth equals performance plus other people's opinion. So we want to rank our performance based off of some subjective criteria, uh, whether it's promotion, whether it's uh, achievement in, in a fancy car, plus other people's opinion. So what's other people's perspective of you? And when I sat and thought that, wow, I've run my life off of that formula, self-worth equals performance in other people's opinion. And I committed to myself that I was going to stop and that I knew my self-worth was determined inside me. Um, I draw a lot of it from my faith. Uh, we'll all draw it from other places, but I know that my self-worth, no matter how much I love my wife, she does not create my self-worth. Uh, no matter how cool my friends are, they don't create my self-worth. Whether I am super successful at the end of the day, it doesn't create my self-worth. 
I actually often ask, look at it from the perspective of my dog. Um, my dog <laughs> finds my worth when he sees me happy and joyful. He finds my self-worth when I'm present enough to recognize his need and play with him. Um, and that's just an indicator to me. But we often forget that our self-worth is, is how much joy do we have in the day? How often are we able to pause and, and be present and, and look around and say, what am I doing? You know, there's the adage that every time you say yes to one thing, you say no to something else. Are you aware of what you're saying yes to? Because if you're not, you're unconsciously saying no to a lot of things. So if I say yes to um, selling my time at corporate every day, I'm saying no to running my own business. If I take a project, you know, we actually, you were very instrumental in me looking at my projects differently as I just took projects as they came up versus saying, is this a good project for me and for my company? And, you know, we sat down and, and, and you know, you helped me look at some business numbers and, and, you know, look at my business as a business instead of a hobby. And that was a big transition to me is I can't focus on my business as a hobby. I still hobby build, but I also looked at it as, okay, what do we want to achieve with this business and set up some goals and some plans? And that allowed me to say no to projects that maybe uh, weren't fulfilling or didn't make money. Um, and okay. That's, yeah. you know, passion of a hobby is great, but that doesn't mean it'll transition into a business. And that's where you got to decide what is your, what, what makes your life complete? You know, do you want a business or do you want a hobby? Maybe you just want a hobby and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a, that's a big thing. We, you hear about that a lot from the business side, oh, follow your passion and then the money will follow and you can turn it in business. Well, that's not always true for a number of reasons. One is sometimes it's really hard to make money in your passion or two is your passion then becomes a business and you're not passionate enough about it. You realize then it's not pat your, your passion is gone. So, and that's a whole nother, you so know, my episode. I was seven years old and my dad bought a motorcycle, a dirt bike for me. He said, we got your dirt bike. I ran out to the truck. So excited. Took a year and a half till we got that bike built. And the throttle you twisted forwards instead of backwards. But I learned that day, if you, if you want something, you're going to have to work for it. We got that bike built, but it was part of that initial stage of learn things, figure it out, sit there and play with it. And I knew from that point on, I could do the work. Uh, my passion was riding dirt bikes, but the working part was having to maintain it. I think anyone who owns a boat could say the same thing. Your passion's right. boating, but if you don't learn how to work on that boat, you better be willing to pay somebody to work on that boat. Yeah, right. Bank on another thousand, as they say. For <laughs> <boats>. <laughs> uh, so projects, working with your hands, master craftsmen, uh, but there's really no master craftsman for your latest project that, you and Carla are working on. Tell us a little bit about your latest project and how you got into that and, and what's been fun and challenging at the same time, I'm sure. It was actually a year ago on Thanksgiving. Um, we were starting to think about tiny houses and we went to a, a tiny house festival in Orlando. And we planned on building one on a trailer and we saw these school buses. 
looking into it, uh, long story short, we found that I can buy a school bus much cheaper than a truck, uh, much cheaper than we can do anything. And as we started investigating how school buses are built, we found that um, they are just an amazing foundation to build an RV out of. So we are currently uh, stripping down a school bus. We just raised the roof 16 inches so that I, I can walk in it because I'm just over six foot and turning it into an RV, which will be our home as we travel around the country. And we have a trailer that we'll pull behind it with tools so that we can just keep working. And, and you know, there's no... I love this project because you can jump on YouTube and see other people doing it, but there's, there's no formula. <laughs> it's just, uh, it's very much a figured out as you go project. And uh, we, we're actually, we video it um, and we're trying to, to have a little fun um, posting videos of, of this bus, but it is, it is, we have a blast doing it. So, so part of, of chasing your passions in life is knowing, um, when you're approaching burnout, we were killing it in our shop. We were 20 weeks back ordered. We set a season. We signed a new lease and we said, after this lease is up, we want to do something for ourselves. I think at first we had a trip to Hawaii in mind, um, <laughs> but as, as, as it progressed, we decided we were going to take a season and, and still work, but slow down and focus on um, building the school bus for ourselves. That's awesome. Can't wait to see the pictures when you get the bus done of pictures from the road. I'll send you my camera and camera tips. But. <laughs> that would be uh, awesome. So you obviously learn a lot as you go. What are you learning about right now and why are you learning about it? What's kind of your big thing? So uh, we are focusing on um, learning about simplicity. A lot of people call it minimalism. Uh, minimalism gets a kind of a bad rap because it's associated with just material uh, items. But we're focused on uh, simplicity from a couple ang angles. Um, the goal is to eliminate hurry from our lives. I, I read a book recently, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I love the title that it spoke so aggressively about taking hurry out of your live lives. And um, so we've been focusing on how do we simplify our life? A lot of that, I think, uh, really comes down to knowing what's important to you, picking intentionally what we want to focus on, what we want to achieve. We still set a lot of goals. So it's, you know, we a lot of times associate relaxed with lazy, and that's not true. Um, I like to take a relaxed approach to um, you know, I don't want to set myself up with so much that at the end of the day, I feel exhausted and I wake up feeling like I didn't achieve anything uh, or I really go to bed feeling like I don't achieve anything and I wake up feeling like I have too much to do. That was a pattern for me. So we've been focusing on understanding how to eliminate that. And, and hurry sickness is a real disease. Uh, I encourage everybody to look it up. If you, if you find yourself feeling like that, like you're just worn out and you didn't achieve enough, um, you know, start questioning not how you can achieve more, but are you really focused on the right things? And that's what simplicity has done to me. Hmm. No, that's, that, what was the name of the book again, Mike? It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. 
Uh, the author is uh, John Mark Comer. It's funny because I'm sort of on the same kick with call it essentialism and they're all mm. sort of intertwined, but I like the simplicity and the portion that you talked about the, about the hurriedness. And I have that sickness for sure, because I sort of, I'll say berate bemoan, like our kids in school, there's a big push always, you know, get into the next higher class, be reading a grade ahead, be do, for what reason? It's not like I'm worried about, and most parents, when they sit down and think about it, are you really worried if your kids are in fourth grade reading at the fourth grade level? Are they not going to be able to read when they graduate high school? You know, they're, they're on pace. So what's the benefit of reading at the sixth grade level and fourth grade? It's really just the hurry up process, right? It, it kind of goes with it. It filters down through all those things. And I have it too, is getting it done now for what is the reason? Sometimes there is a valid reason, mm -hmm. but like you said, understanding and being intentional versus just being in hurry. It's like being busy for busyness sake. You know, it, it's, it's really, and, and part of what they, what, what's talked about in this book is, we often find value and we, we think we find value in being busy. It's a mark of success. How was your day? Good, but busy. Well, was it really good if it was busy? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean may, maybe there's some fun things that are busy, uh, but I, I really find that if we step back and, and silence is beautiful. I try to spend an hour every day to me, it's somewhere between prayer and meditation. I like to really find where I'm at. What, what is important to me? I keep a pen and paper handy because a lot of times I'll start thinking of all the things I need to do. And I want to write it down so that I can let it go. Uh, and I tell people that and they say, oh, I wish I had that much time in my day. And it's like, well, you have to make it. You have to be intentional. You have to choose what you want to do with your time. And then hold yourself accountable to do it. Don't beat yourself up if you're not perfect. But, you know, is it really, then, then if you're not doing it, ask yourself, is it really important? You know, is, if you're not doing it and you keep saying you want to do it, is it, is it that it's not important? Uh, and if it isn't important, you erase it from your list. I think along the lines of simplicity is, is really the idea that if you, if you take the time to understand what you want and you say yes to the right things, then you, you can combat hurry sickness. If you just keep doing habits and doing things because you, you think you're supposed to do them and you never question it, you're going to stay on the hamster wheel and you're going to run circles. Your time is short. You know, you, you've got to put a value on yourself and it's not selfish to value yourself. Um, especially if you take the time to put value on others. So, you know, you, you really can't value others either if you don't value yourself. There were so many nuggets in there. <laughs> um, so, you know, just, just, I'm just going to tell people to rewind that section. It was <laughs> fantastic. Uh, One of the best nuggets that you just said, though, was I think so many people, so many of us, value busyness as a success metric 
And ironically, don't we, in kind of modern society, we, quote, become successful to build up a financial cushion, uh, you know, pay off the house, how, you know, put the kids through college, et cetera, et cetera. So eventually we can retire and not be busy. Yes. And I think part of this, the psychology is we feel like we have to tell ourselves that, well, if I'm busy, that's success. And you're saying, no, that's not, that's not it at all. That's not the key to owning your story. Yeah, no, I, I, my story, you know, we, we, when I pass, I hope people aren't only focused on what I produced or how successful I was. I do hope they remember some of the cool projects I built. I'm not going to lie. But I hope they use words like joy, aware, present, um, you know, friend. And those things you get by not being busy. You can't take time to visit a friend if you're too busy. You can't be engaged in good, honest dialogue if you're too busy. Again, I suffer from anxiety and an erasing mind, but I've found that the more I can sit in it and tell myself, what is most important? There's only a few things that are most important. I want to be a great husband to my wife. I want to make her happy. I want, you know, we often refer to our life as a journey. I want to journey well. I want to not look back at pictures and say, oh, man, I wish we could go back because I barely remember that. I want to be able to look at a picture and relive that moment because I was present enough in that moment to enjoy that moment and breathe it in. And, and I, I, I hurt for others when I see them just, they're just going through the day, going through the day, going through the day, waiting for the weekend, waiting for tomorrow. But if we're always waiting to, to follow our dream or we're always waiting to have pure, deep joy until this variable happens, I guarantee what's going to happen is something else is going to come up. Um, it's like a New Year's resolution. If you wait and say, I'm going to do this January 1, well, what's magical about January 1? If you really want to do it, do it today. You know, if you really want to change yourself, uh, if you really want to be, uh, you know, self-employed, if you really want to be relaxed, if you really want to slow down, just slow down. There'll be pain associated with it, but there's also pain associated with what you're doing now. So... Right. Yeah. It's a, like you said, it's choices. You're trading. You know, when you pick something, you're giving up something else. That's the way life works. As far as everyone has figured out, I'll be rewinding this as I go through. I have the benefit of editing these podcasts, but there's sections that I truly, and this is a conversation where I'll rewind because of just the perspective that you have going back to like you said the the picture metaphor of running around it use it in the instagram world as you know me and i enjoy taking pictures i'm a half a hack at it but it's something i enjoy doing as a as a passion but there is that certain thing in society now with with instagram especially is go get the the shot that everyone takes and you get the shot, but you don't remember being present because it was mm -hmm. just so quick. It was so fleeting. It was, hey, I'm, I'm hitting the checklist. 
versus just sitting for a moment and experiencing wherever that is. It might be a, a cityscape or out in the wilderness, whatever your thing is. But you said it so eloquently, taking the time to sit in it and remember it, not just as a photograph and saying, gosh, I wish I can go back and really remember that place. But that picture instead brings back very vivid and crisp memories because you took the time to sit there, pause, slow down and do it. And it's really, really tough, but encouraging to aspire to. So it, 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 it's been a process and, and it's a daily process to, to remind myself of, of these ideas, but it's, it's been beautiful. The, I, I, I've latched onto an idea that the quest for more only leaves you with the quest for more. There is no more. If we're chasing more. All we're going to do the rest of our life is chase more. I want to relax in what we've achieved. I, I, so blessed to be able to build things with my hand and, and, and to create that if I only chase the next project, I wouldn't enjoy building a school bus. People are like, how do you do it? And it's like, well, we still work hard. It's not like we're not working. We're just following our dream and we'll, we'll battle each barrier as we get to it, but I'm not going to look 10 steps ahead and be like, how are we going to achieve that and cower from it? We're going to, Know that there's going to be pain, but there's pain in life. It's part of growing. Mm-hmm. And each time we feel the pain, we realize we're getting better and stronger. And I mean, we went from hoping to have clients to having a large enough following that we felt comfortable taking a break from the business to build our school bus. And we get orders and we debate if we want to take them or not. Prioritizing essentialism all those things and doing what you want to do and, and focusing and realizing there's pain along the way and um, challenges, but the joys and the happiness and the fulfillment mm-hmm. and the friendships and all those other things go along with it. So I don't think there's anything I can add to what Mike has just brought to the table for folks. And I've, hope that you've stayed tuned in because it's really neat to hear that's why i love doing this podcast because it's guys like mike that is super talented has really invested the time and energy to think about what his story means and what he wants it to mean going forward that we can all learn from it doesn't always have to be the experts. It doesn't always have to be the folks with the, the PhDs. These are, these are real people that are living lives that we can learn just as much from. Um, it, it's been a real pleasure speaking with Mike and learning, and I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. And just want to say, Mike, thanks, man. This has been absolutely awesome, insightful, uh, and I love the fact you just opened up your soul for us and, and shared with us and taught us, frankly, really taught a lot of us, I know, uh, and gave us some tools that we can take on our own journey. So thanks, man. It's been fabulous. Uh, I appreciate that. We, we all got a story. Uh, make sure that, that you're the one writing it and, and write what you love. Well, hopefully you hung around for that one. 
My two favorite takeaways from Mike sharing was the invitation to be vulnerable to yourself as a path to growth and how you can be braver than your thoughts. Interesting concepts I really haven't heard expressed that way before. If you want to follow Mike and his wife Carla on YouTube during their schoolie build, you can find them under Artsy Reclaimed. And if you want to see his impressive craftsmanship, go to artsyreclaimed.com. Thanks again to Mike French, and as always, I'd welcome your feedback. Just go to soulcrafttribe.com and shoot me an email. And if I could, I'll double dip and ask another favor. If you would share the podcast with your friends, family, neighbors, and even the dude at the gas station, that's cool too. We can all learn from each other's stories if we're willing to take the time to listen. Thanks again, Tribe, for your support. And until next time, have a great day.